Welcome everyone, welcome to satsang. Great to see you on a cold night. It warms everything up, very nice. I like to begin my programs by quoting my guru, Baba Muktananda, who began all his programs by saying in Hindi, Sabko varisanmane ke sat premse hajik swagat. With great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would always say that the essence of spirituality is contained in that welcome, to welcome another person. And of course, you have to welcome the person who's closest at hand, who goes around with you all the time. And that's you. So you have to welcome, be kind to yourself, be kind to others. And um, <clears throat> so in that spirit, I want to welcome you. And uh, I also want to remember uh, my, the first great being I ever met. And uh, because she had a birthday two days ago, and that is my mom, <laughs> Selma. And that's her in Ganeshpuri. She came to visit me in Ganeshpuri. She thought, I'll never come home. I'm never coming home, so she may as well come visit. And she hit it off with Baba. She had a great relationship with Baba. And she became quite a yogini. So, uh, and in honor of her, her birthday, uh, I've, uh, I'm going to uh, talk about the teachings of the second great being that I met in this life, and that is... Oh. <laughs> 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 I had met her later. <laughs> this is Ananda Mahima, uh, a legendary uh, saint of India who um, died in 1981, I think, 81. Um, <clears throat> and uh, an extraordinary being. Uh, I met her soon after getting to India. She was the first great realized being uh, that I met. She didn't look like that. This is her as a young woman. What, other, what else do we have? She was a God-intoxicated, ecstatic, uh, but when I met her, she was a little older. She looked more like that. Still very beautiful, full of energy. So let me tell you about her. She was born in 1896, or died in 1982. She died actually just a month before Baba died. Um, she, her father was a, a Brahmin, a Vaishnava a singer, a dev devotional singer. And she was one of these spiritual geniuses, two great spiritual geniuses of the early part of the 20th century, Ramana Maharshi and Ananda Maima. And she had a spontaneous kundalini awakening, and she started doing all kinds of uh, yogic movements spontaneously and going into deep states of meditation. And it said that during her sadhana, she became both the guru and the disciple. She split in two and talked to herself, gave herself instructions. Um, she married, uh, and her husband became her greatest devotee. So the rest of her life, they went around. <clears throat> Girls, if you want to know how to get your man in line, just become a perfect saint. <laughs> 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 then they come right into line 
Bolonov was his name. Uh, she was very humble and very peculiar. She would always talk about herself as this body, this body or this child. And she had, because she was peculiar, it means very emotional and uh, unpredictable, she had what she called kayals, which is little, uh, how do you describe a kayal? What? Moods, moods yes, moods. <laughs> she, and, and she would decide, like she would eat 80, 80 chapatis. And then she would fast for two weeks, something just like a, this was a, a kayal. Pemji has that kale every day, three times a day. <laughs> but she also would fast for three weeks, too. Okay. <clears throat> and um, not only is she extremely devotional and, and peculiar, but she's also had incredible intellect. So she's very disciplined and yogic also. Her teachings are very Vedantic, we could say, very wisdom. Uh, oriented. She was uncompromising. She always spoke from the center of God consciousness, and she didn't pull her punches. Uh, <clears throat> but she was also a child. She was a child. She was a mother. She disciplined her children. Didn't have physical children, but all her disciples. And she was extremely well known throughout India. Probably in, when I went there, the most famous uh, Indian saint. Uh, and Baba met her. They had a great meeting. Uh, Gandhi met her. Uh, if you read Yogananda's, uh, what's it called, Autobiography of a Yogi, it, there's a picture of him with a young Ananda Maimal in the 30s, and she became Indira Gandhi's guru. So that's, that's the, uh, the main great being tonight. But there's another story, uh, <clears throat> the story also of a disciple. And this is a woman named Blanca Schlamm. And Blanca Schlamm, uh, there you see her as Swami Atmananda. She was born in Vienna in 1904 in a wealthy Jewish family. She's one of these Western, Westerners who in the early part of the century went to India for spirituality. And there are a group of, uh, a number of Western women, outstanding ones, and Swami Parmananda spoke about them recently. Um, and she was one of them. And she, uh, she lived in Vienna, uh, and she had a very good uh, European education, cultural education, music, art, literature. But then World War I came along. So that would have been when she was just a kid, 10 years old, would have started. And, uh, and then her family, from being rich, became poor. And so that all happened. Imagine what it would be like to have a war just go right through your, your living room practically everywhere in Europe. Uh, at the age of 16, she had a mystical experience of oneness. This happened spontaneously. Uh, but it changed her. And so she became spiritually inclined. She joined the Theosophical Society uh, when she was 21. And accordingly, she became follower of uh, Jiddu Krishnamurti. Because Krishnamurti was the, uh, the star of the um, Theosophical Society. They, they thought of him as the coming of the, the world teacher, Maitreya, the world teacher. Uh, and then very famously, he renounced that and said, 
uh, life, it's a pathless path, you shouldn't have a guru and what up, you know. But anyway, became a follower of his. She moved to India to, and taught in his school, but uh, gradually she became disenchanted with him. And being in India, she heard about the various great beings that were around. So uh, in 1942, she wandered down to Tiruvannamalai and spent time with Ramana Maharshi and the great Ramana, and she was very impressed, and she loved him, but she became Ananda Maima's disciple, very devoted, loving disciple. Uh, eventually, she moved into Ananda Maima's uh, ashram. Do we see her with Ananda Maima, I think? Yes, she was late in life and an older. That's about what Ananda Maima looked like when I met her in 1970. So uh, she moved into uh, Ma's ashram. She took sannyas, became a swami in 1979. Then she helped with the publications, the ashram publications, and died in 1985 at the age of 81. And you know, I was up and I was uh, doing sadhana in uh, the winter of uh, 7071 in Hardwar. And she probably was there, because Ananda Mai had an ashram there. I could have met her. I didn't, but I could have. Um, <clears throat> and she kept a spiritual diary, which gives a wonderful glimpse of Ananda Mai. So these uh, extracts are taken from that diary, her encounters with uh, Ananda Mai Ma. Okay. <clears throat> so here we go. Ready? Uh, this is Derudun. Is that where you're from? Yes. Derudun. Does uh, Ma have an ashram there still? Yeah, we do. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> Derudun in uh, December of 1945. You would have been uh, 20, 30, 40 years old then. Rohit, Rohit's from Derudun. Derudun's uh, up in the, the Himalayas. Uh, I never got to it. I got to Rishikesh, I got to uh, Nanital. But I never got to Teradun. But it's never too late. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Atmananda, that's uh, Blanca, and she was a great devotee. She was filled with devotion, mad devotion. So you'll hear. She says, Mataji, I'm irresistibly drawn to you. I don't feel like talking to anyone else, and my focus is on you. But then doubt comes up. I feel like I don't know anything at all. It's all maddening. This is uh, the plight of uh, the path of devotion. I can't recommend the path of devotion. It's, it's much too heartbreaking. Much better to have a dry yogic path or a dry jnan path of wisdom where you sit and think, I am the self, I am that. Or else you do postures or do breathing exercises. But the path of devotion is like hell. <laughs> you have terrible mood swings. You feel ecstatic, close to God. And then you feel cast out and out of darkness and misery. So it's a wonderful path. It's the best path, of course. <clears throat> so Ananda uh, uh, Ma says, <clears throat> if you have a guru, follow him and ascribe your doubt to the impurity of your mind. So whenever doubt arises, so it's just my mind's not working. 
And so, so now this is this is what we used to call the attitude of sadhana, the attitude of 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 practice. You have to have that attitude. Say whatever thing comes up, say that's something I have to get rid of or overcome, rather than it's somebody's fault or this one's fault, that one's fault. <clears throat> it's taking responsibility for your stuff. Uh, Atmanand says, as my mind is impure, how can I know the guru either? Ma, by accepting his word, you will slowly come to understand yourself. Don't listen to outward conversation and advice. Listen within and follow your own intuition. Atmananda, do I need to make changes in my diet for my sadhana? So this is going from the sublime to the ridiculous in a way, but, but uh, we used to ask Baba questions like that too. We'd ask, Baba, how can I know Brahman? And then he'd say, then, should I eat chapatis? That's <laughs> what happens in the midst of it all. So Ma says, it's true. And, and, and Nanda is very uh, sensible. It's true, some food is not conducive to meditation. However, if your aim is to please God, you don't need to worry about anything else. So what's he saying? Saying, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what you eat as long as your focus is on the highest truth. So, and so in, in her diary she wrote, in the night I felt quite lovesick for her, as if I could put up with anything at all just to be with her, and yet just staying with her is also not enough. I feel like crawling inside her and ceasing to exist. <laughs> now that sounds crazy, I know, but, um, but Baba used to talk about Guru Bhav, which was his path, where he would install the Guru, the guru within himself, and he'd identify with the Guru and bring the Guru, and it doesn't mean the Guru physically, it means the Guru's essence, the energy, the Shakti, of the guru, the guru principle. And he meditated this way, and this is what his main meditation was. Um, by meditating, whatever you meditate on, you draw the energy of that thing to yourself. So if you meditate on money, you don't necessarily draw money to you, but you draw, it would be good if you did, but you, <laughs> you draw all kinds of things. Uh, so whatever you meditate on, that's what you become. So when you meditate on the guru, you don't become just like the guru physically, but you draw the energy, the power, the insight, the wisdom of the guru. Uh, she says, in the evening, she answered all my unasked questions in a general talk in the evening after meditation. She obviously addressed it to me. She talked about the different paths. <clears throat> and uh, this is a quote from Ananda Maima. Do not get diverted from your own path. If you're trying to dig a well and you dig up earth a little here, a little there, nothing happens. But if you dig in one place, you'll eventually find water. That was an analogy Baba used to use all the time. He used to say, if, you, if water's down 100 feet and you dig 10 wells 50 feet deep, you don't get to water. But if you one, dig 100 feet, you get there. In other words, do your path and practice it profoundly. Take some time to figure out what your actual path is. But when you find it, go full on. And don't look over your shoulder what this one's doing, what that one's doing, because we are kind of uh, monkeys, aren't we? We look around, we see what this one's doing, then we get FOMO. 
I learned not to say mofo. <laughs> you get FOMO, uh, and then we want to do what they're doing, because it looks more glamorous. <clears throat> uh, and not Renan says, she evidently meant me not, uh, meant to tell me that my path is Atmadhyan, meditation on the self. So that's what she got from it. Not, the devotional path knows, meditate on the self. That is, no shape, no form, but only making the mind empty so that the self may be revealed. So meditate on the formless is what she, what Anandamaya is telling her, she says. Uh, Anandamaya says, do not pay attention to anything outside. Concentrate all the time on the center within. I like that. There's a sutra in Shaivism, uh, Bija Vadanam, focus on the seed, on the center. Always go towards the center of everything. And that is the self, that which is most central, that which is most interior, that which is at the heart of everything, is the self. That's what we seek. So, so concentrate on the center. Once you're in the center, you will look in all the four directions and see everything as it is. If you're not in the center, then your, your vision is skewed by the angle that you have. But if you sit in the center, you see everything as it is because you're at ground zero. So everything is, is clear. It says, do not waste your time. Whatever you do, eating, drinking, working, think of the self all the time. Remain in the center. Don't let anything distract you. Don't drop your work, but keep on with this meditation while you're doing it. Like that, it will take you to freedom. It reminds me of uh, Nisargadatta, his, his guru told him, uh, contemplate the I am, which is the self. And he says, whatever you do, do it. And so he said, when he was selling cigarettes, and, which is what he did, whatever he did, he would always contemplate it and contemplate it and contemplate it. So stay in the center. Always remember the self, the subject, the I am. Keep, keep that in your memory. Ananda Mai says, think that he works through you. God works through you. You surrender entirely to him. You could say to consciousness, to the self, however you want to conceive that. Become his yantra. That's really an interesting statement. Become God's yantra. What's a yantra? Yantra is a diagram, a symbol, a visual symbol of the divine. So it's meant to hold the shakti of the divine. And if you look at it, you can have some kind of intimation or experience of the divine. So become God's yantra. It means let God shine through you. Let higher consciousness shine through. Mostly neurosis shines through us. And personal desire and frustration and fear. But instead of that, let joy, let bliss, let love shine through us. What is he saying? Become God's yantra. Give up your desire so that his desire may be done. Through prana vayu, he manifests in you. He, God manifests through your breath. Think of him with every breath. Remember that he breathes through you. He's giving, giving a, a certain, not making a, a doctrinal remarks, he's giving a practice. If this makes sense, you think this way. 
<clears throat> that will cleanse you. Do not waste time. The day that is gone is not, will not return ever again. <laughs> this is the way some of these yogis talk, you know. Don't waste your time every day. Do it. And do not bother about other paths. Stick to your own. Whether you're lying down, sitting, or walking, be aware of the center, the clear space of good feeling, the inner self. Constantly remember the center. When you talk, think that he talks through you. When you meditate, do not move. Remain absolutely still. So she's very stern uh, disciplinary, isn't she? Sit, sit in the center. Always stay at the center of self. Then she says, whatever samskaras take you to mukti are your friends. So samskaras are your tendencies. And mukti is liberation. So whatever tendencies you have, habits of mind, uh, ways of being, that take you higher, they're your friend. But those which bind you are your enemies. So we have all kinds of tendencies in us that we inherited from who knows where. Some of them are uplifting, make us better, and some of us make us worse, make us more selfish, more contracted, more miserable, more anxious. And those are enemies. So he's saying, focus on the ones that uplift you and move away from the ones that don't. That's, uh, in a way, that's what we do in Chief of Process, isn't it? It's always to move in that direction. If you have to meet people, see the self in them. Whatever situation you must encounter, look for the self in that also. So try to see the self in everything that happens. Good, huh? You like that? So clever. <clears throat> Another one. This is uh, June 1947. <clears throat> Kishinpur. You know where Kishinpur is? It's Zeradun again. It's Zeradun. Okay. <clears throat> uh, Atmananda writes, Mother gave a little talk to a small group in which every word was meant for me. <laughs> is, is she a narcissist? No, maybe. In yoga, you become a narcissist for a while. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, she answered some of the questions I meant to ask. She said, learn to laugh heartily with your whole being. Don't take offense at what anyone may say. Okay, what's that? Don't internally consider. You know, laugh and don't take it seriously. People say all kinds of crap. You cannot live this life unless you go into a cave or live in the, in the forest somewhere. You can't go into this life and then engage with people without them bitching behind your back, and sometimes to your face. <laughs> and so don't worry about it, just the way it is. <clears throat> you do it too, don't you? Yes. So. <laughs> if it bothers you, ask yourself why. Analyze your feelings. When you get angry, it's because you are thwarted in your desire. Anger is always... Uh, uh, frustrated desire, I'm not getting my way, just like a little kid. I'm not getting my way, I'm angry. When you don't get food on time, you get restless and hanker after it. That means you depend on food. 
<clears throat> so the goal is called liberation. It means being free of stuff. So when you're, when you're desperate for food, you're, you're under the control of food. <clears throat> why should you hunger and why should hunger and habit rule you? The same with sleep. <laughs> this is really something. Keep awake for a night now and then. Don't let sleep rule you. Huh? <clears throat> Another time she spoke about anger again. She said, you do sadhana for so many days. That means spiritual practice. Work, meditate, say the mantra, and so on. Once you get caught up in anger, the whole effect is gone. You may have experienced that. You feel you've done your practice, you're meditating, you're staying in a very good state, and then anger comes up and rips you off completely, and you're like complete moron, no energy, miserable, and no attainment, so on. <laughs> what happened? It does happen. Not to me, of course, but to <laughs> no. No, you, everybody who practices has lived every bit of this. He says, he says, you have to gather up all the threads again. <clears> then <throat> she says, this shristi, this creation, is dukkha rupi, full of suffering. This, just like the Buddha saying life is suffering. So this creation, this physical world is full of suffering. It's full of suffering. The friction which is caused through its constant movement also causes the suffering. So you can't live in physical life without suffering. That's what the Buddha's great insight was that this, it's essential. It's not essential. It's, what's the word? It's intrinsic. What? Inherent. Inherent. It's intrinsic to life. It's inherent in life that there's old age, disease, and death. And so it's inherent in physical life. So unless, if you hang on only to physical principles, that's what you have to look for. But there's an inner truth that's a greater truth in which there's joy, in which there's eternal joy. So she says, turn inside and you'll find happiness. So if you can turn inside, you can find that despite the fact that physical life has these features. She says, Atmananda says, I'm under so much strain and I'm resentful all the time. Today she made a rule that the conscience to blow at 4.30 a.m. and all must get up. That was soft because in Ganeshpur, the bell used to go off at 3 a.m. That's really soft ashram. And, and in this ashram, it's 2 a.m. Yes? No, this is very soft ashram. What? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's much softer here. Uh, where am I? I told her, she says, I told her that three, hour, three hours sleep was not enough for me. She said, go to bed at 10 and sleep till 12. Then do a half hour meditation and go to sleep again till 4.30. Well, she's tough, isn't she? Later when I told her I needed more sleep, she said, I could sleep in the afternoon from 12 to 4. It seems that sometimes what she says is not meant to be taken so hard and fast. In other words, she, she uh, relented. 
Cool, huh? <clears throat> Let's see. I got tons more, but how many more should we do? Uh, the one about lying to the guru? <laughs> <laughs> That's an inside joke. <clears throat> um, I got three more. I'll do one of them. I don't know which one to do. Anyone? What? Anyone? Uh, okay. This one looks juicy. Here we go. November 1945. Doesn't say. Let's assume it's there, Question. I feel the need, she says, I guess, to Ma, I feel the need for surrender through a deep spiritual relationship, either to a guru or a husband, <clears throat> who will be like a guru and whom I can serve. At present, what I do is not real service. <clears throat> Ma says, you're intelligent and old enough to find out for yourself whom you can trust completely as a guru. Ignore the stuff about the husband. <laughs> Look around you. Take any amount of time to test the person, man or woman, but once you've taken the plunge, it is for good, like a Hindu marriage, undissolvable, and you must accept his or her word for better or for worse and abide by it implicitly, whether it appeals to you or not. <laughs> Look around. There might be a guru around. Here's an under my mind, you know. Look around, this person might be a guru. I love that. And then once you, once you accept it, the guru, then you should surrender. Question. I find it very difficult to concentrate on the breath and also boring. Especially for Westerners, you know, spiritual practices are intensely boring. <laughs> to repeat a phrase over and over again, like an idiot. You know? I mean, we are, especially now, I think it's worse than ever now with all the devices. And TikTok, TikTok is like, um, it's like, you know, your attention span of a half a minute. And so you're constantly being stimulated. And then to say the same word over and over again, or just to watch the breath. It's like such an affront to uh, our conditioning. Uh, so she's boring. Uh, and can only do it when I think of you as the great mother who has commanded me to do so. I can only do this because mother has told me, Ananda Mai. Yet I feel <clears throat> that you had a special, re if I feel, no, yet I feel that, that you had a special reason for asking me to concentrate on the breath. If you can explain this to me, I shall be able to do it without difficulty. So saying, you know, I had bored by this practice, but if you explain it right, I can do it. And Mother says, through breath, through pranavayu, consciousness pervades matter. This is wonderful. I, it's a great notion, saying that, that the difference between inert matter and life is breath. It is, isn't it? When breath enters the picture, then you have life. And so that's the divine spark. It's pranavayu, it's the life force, comes into the breath. Um, everything that is alive breathes, she says. <clears throat> when breath stops, you die. 
Physical life depends on breath. It is through prana that matter becomes alive. Desires and the wandering mind make breath impure. So through your desires and through your weakness of mind, the breath is vitiated. Therefore, I advise the practice of concentration on breathing combined with taking any one of God's names. So we do Hamsa mantra, which is I am that. So it's the thinking of the self while watching the breath. So that fulfills it. <clears throat> if the breath and the mind become ekagra, one-pointed, and steady, then the mind expands to infinity, and all phenomena are included in that one all-inclusive point. If you think of God with the breath, it will purify the prana, uh, the physical sheath, the, the body, and the mind. You get ill because you spoil the body with impure prana, <coughs> caused by desires, worry, and pain due to unfulfilled desires. So the prana makes us sick, the bad, when bad prana, because of all the mental anguish and so on. But if you, if you think of God and, do, and uh, watch the breath, then that restores it. But do not think that when you start doing this meditation practice, you'll immediately become well. Not immediately. If you've eaten bad food yesterday, and pure food today, yesterday's food will still make you ill. If you breathe while thinking of God's name, you will feel the, the call through his grace. It is by his grace only that you can feel the call to him. So I'm saying you'll have to practice it for a while, and gradually the prana becomes equal. I mean, the prana means also the, the mind. The mind becomes peaceful, not agitated all the time paranoid and worried and all that. <clears throat> you should practice the following daily. Here's a practice. Okay? We can modify it, but it's a general practice. <clears throat> Sit still for a few seconds or minutes and calm yourself. Then breathe three times, taking the name Atma. That's what he tells her. Her name's Atmananda. So, so three, Atma means self. So breathe in thinking self. We can say hamsa, I am the self. <clears throat> the breathing should be done as follows. Inhale, and then hold the breath for a count that is twice as long as that of the inhalation. So now, when I was uh, practicing with Haridas, not far from Dehradun, in Haridwar, um, he emphasized pranayama, and we did a certain kind of pranayama where you, you breathe in, you count a certain number of beats. I can't remember what it was, like four or eight or something. You breathe in, and then you hold it for another number, then you let it go out for another number, and then you hold it outside for another number. And you used to do that. I hated all the bookkeeping, but, um, <laughs> but basically it's, it's to... Uh, Breathe in slowly. You don't have to actually count. Then hold it. Breathe out. And hold it outside. And breathe in. And so on. <clears throat> then, in, then exhale to a count that is four times that of inhalation. 
then meditate on the imminence of God as the life that permeates every living being. So the life force, whether you believe in God as God or that there's obviously a force of life in the universe, uh, and so meditate on that life force. Even if your thought of it is not truly the quality of that life, it will take you there. So it means not truly the reality of that life, it will take you there. So eventually it'll work towards that. Just as you were told that I am uh, in Vindyachal, where's Vindyachal? Same state. Huh? It's in the same state. Same state, okay. So, and you accepted it, and it was true, and you traveled all the way here, and thus you actually found me. In the same way, your thought of the imminence of God, the very cause of everything, will take you to the reality of this. So you didn't know what, where Vindyachal was, but you got here because you heard it. So I'm telling you, do this practice. Think about the highest. You can, instead of God, you could say, just think about the highest essence that you can think of. And just doing that, um, so I'm somebody, she's saying, I'm somebody who knows, I know how to get there. So do that, and it will lead you there. <clears throat> During your work, every now and then, do this breathing exercise. Try to see that life in everything as much as possible. So move your focus from physical, material, to the higher realm the realm of energy, the realm of spirit, the realm of consciousness. She says, then there's also another way, the reverse of this, neti neti, not this, not this, rejecting everything that can be an object of perception or thought as not God. This also leads them. So the other way, instead of focusing on the breath and seeing everything as God and this energy says, Reject everything. It's not this. Whatever you can see, conceive, hear, think about, that's not it. Not this, not this. This is the, the via negativa. This is the Vedantic way. Reject everything. It's not that. And question says, I take it for granted that you think that that is not my way, that you suggest the other. And she writes, she affirms. So it's basically saying, you don't want me to do that, do you? This negative thing. And uh, Ananda Mai somehow said, yes, do the other. <clears throat> so let's, uh, let's do a little practice then. Great stuff, huh? What do you think of her? Wonderful. What a great being. What a great being. <clears throat> so let's do that. Let's do her practice. Um, How many, what did she say? How much we breathe in? <laughs> we breathe in? Let's not bother about that. <laughs> what we'll do is think, think of what? Breathe in for one. Hold for two. Breathe out for four. One, two, four. Is that it? Yeah. One, two, four. One, two, four. Four, two, four. Oh. And that, what about, what do you hold it out for? Two? Nothing. Nothing. No? So the out-breath is the long one. Yeah. 
and then you breathe in. You want to try that? Okay. Try it if you like. What? Don't if you don't. Try it if you like, and don't if you don't. Okay. David Ma says, if, try it if you like, and don't if you don't. <laughs> you must do it. <laughs> now we're going to meditate for 10 minutes, but at least at the beginning, try this. You breathe in and you breathe out, and um, you're, you're breathing in the life force, consciousness, divinity, God, shakti, energy, love, however you conceive it. And um, use that rhythm. What is it? One, two, four. One, two, four? Okay, breathe in one unit. Hold it for two units. And then breathe out for four units. Or something like that. Okay? We'll meditate now for ten minutes. And once again, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart, being very grateful that such great beings as Ananda Maima and Baba Muktananda and Bhagwan Nityananda and all the other great beings of all traditions exist in this world so that they may inspire us to be everything that we could be and lift us beyond this uh, dull round of uh, mundane existence and that we may know something higher, more rich, more full of energy, more full of love, more full of joy than we would normally. So I salute them all. Let's meditate for 10 minutes. <laughs>